In Exodus chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, it says, Now a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him three months. When she could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and daubed it with bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the river bank. And his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river. While her young women walked beside the river, she saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman, and she took it. When she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby was crying. And she took pity on him and said, This is one of the Hebrew children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. So the girl went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. When the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses because she said, I drew him out of the water. It's kind of a neat uh, play there when you picture it. Because Moshe means to draw out, and she drew him out of the water. But it's all, he's also the person that God will use to draw Israel out of Egypt. In verse 11 it says, One day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. <clears throat> when he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together, and he said to the man in the wrong, Why do you strike your companion? He answered, Who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, Surely the thing is known. When Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came and drew water and filled the troughs to water their father's flock. The shepherds came and drove them away, but Moses stood up and saved them and watered their flock. When they came home to their father, Reuel, later on he's referred to as Jethro, but it's referring to the same guy, just so you know. How is it that you have come home so soon today? They said, an Egyptian delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds and even drew water for us and watered the flock. He said to his daughters, well, then where is he? Why have you left the man? Call him that he may eat bread. And Moses was content to dwell with the man, and he gave Moses his daughter Zipporah. She gave birth to a son, and he called his name Gershom. For he said, I have been a sojourner. In a foreign land. During those days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham and with Isaac and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. Each sport seems to have its Hall of Fame. You know, we have the Hockey Hall of Fame down in Eveleth here. That's the closest one to us that I know of. And in Baseball Hall of Fame, you have people like Babe Ruth and Hank Aaron and, and many others. The reason I bring that up is when you get to Hebrews chapter 11, which I know that's not where we're at today, but we are going to reference it a little bit. Hebrews chapter 11 is what many have called the Hall of Faith. And the reason is because just like the sports halls of fame do, they take the greatest at the sports or the people that have really stood out through the history of the sports and they highlight them that's what hebrews chapter 11 does it goes back through the old testament and highlights 
people that were strong in their faith. It highlights people like Noah and Abraham and David and, and Samson. and It just highlights different people that stand out because of their faith. And the reason I'm being in with that this morning is we're looking at a few different people that are all included in the Hall of Faith in Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11 looks at Moses' parents and says, look at those people, look at the faith that they had as they were willing to risk their life for their child and for God's purposes as they would ignore the Pharaoh's decree. And it says, look at Moses and the decisions that he made, decisions of faith. And the whole point of it is that it is encouraging us to have the same kind of faith that Moses had as he would make some difficult decisions, that his parents had as they would risk their necks and risk their lives. And it encourages us to experience that same faith or to grow in our faith as well. And so that's what we're considering here this morning. We're seeing a a chapter on faith. Now, it doesn't come out and just say it so much as it illustrates it for us. We're reading through the story, the events of the things that occurred there. I don't remember who it was, but somebody one time called illustrations or stories as windows that let the light in. He's not giving us a discourse on faith, but he's showing us a story of faith that just really lets the light in so that we can see and our perspective can be deepened. Now, as we look through this, there's several different things that stand out about faith. The first is the context that it's happening within. And in this, we see the sovereign acting of God. In fact, all these things are the acts of God. God is going to deliver Israel. Israel's not going to deliver themselves. God is going to deliver Israel out of the nation of Egypt. But before God does that, he's going to deliver Moses. Remember, this is the time that Pharaoh at first went to the midwives and said, when you go around to the Hebrew women as they're birthing their children, if that baby that's born is a boy, then you kill that baby. If it's a girl, then it can live. And the Pharaoh was doing that because of fear. He was afraid that the Israelites were growing too big and too strong and that if they ever turned against him, they would be a real threat. Well, the midwives feared God, and so they wouldn't do it. And so they made up an excuse for Pharaoh. Pharaoh said, why aren't you doing it? They said, oh, those Hebrew women, boy, do they give birth quick. We get there, it's already done, the baby's gone, we don't know what happened. And so God blessed the midwives for not doing that. But then he gave a decree out to all of his people. He said, if any of you finds a Hebrew baby, if it's a boy pitch it in the Nile River. And so it's within that context. And so what is Pharaoh doing? He's, he's taking a stance against the people of God and in doing so against God himself. Remember, these are the people that God gave the covenant to Abraham that to him and his descendants, God would bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. And that the whole world would be impacted through his family, which would become the nation of Israel. Well, that, as we saw in here, was handed down to from Abraham to Isaac and from Isaac to Jacob and then to his children as they became the 12 tribes of Israel. And now 400 years removed from Jacob's time, the children of Israel crying out to God in their slavery. And God's going to deliver Moses in order to deliver Israel. But as we look at this situation, it's, a, it's an amazing thing. And what, what we see looking at the context of what's going on is that we see the foolishness of fighting against God. I just love God's sense of humor in these events. Because you have Pharaoh that is trying to weaken the Israelite people, trying to keep them weak, trying to keep them in bondage. And then they were still being blessed by God and growing too much. So, well, not only not keep them down, we're going to keep them thinned out. We're going to keep the numbers of them down through this process of killing the babies. And as we see that, what ends up happening? Pharaoh is worried about Israel rising up and getting its independence. It's worried about what Israel might do if it turned and was a strength against him. And all of his worst fears 
were meted out, and he would help to fulfill them. When they finally can't hide the baby anymore, you know, because they start out little and cute, and even their cry is cute and kind of quiet, but that doesn't stay quiet. It gets louder and louder. And a few months in, a baby's a very hard thing to hide. And you can't just tell them, shh, be quiet. Somebody's looking for you. They don't know. And so what happens is Moses' mom, finally, when they can't hide him anymore, they put him in this little ark. And, uh, and the, so the ninth person saved by an ark in the Bible. And uh, they put him in this little ark made of, of, of uh, reeds and pitch and stuff. And they put it in the, amongst the reeds in the Nile. And uh, I, I'd imagine from looking at the things that are happening, I imagine they probably knew the princess was, that was a bathing spot of hers. And I think that they had an indication that they could uh, kind of get the baby over toward the princess. And if you're going to save that baby, that's a good way to do it. Because the princess sends her servant out, sees the basket floating amongst the reeds. It's not quite like in the movies, in the cartoon movies, the basket's floating down the river in the rapids and the alligators and everything's coming around there. No, mama doesn't want to do that with her baby. She's going to tuck it in the reeds on the edge, the sister does. And so the, the princess comes down to take her bath and sees a, sees a basket over there and says, uh, hey, go get that basket for me to one of her servants. And he brings it over and just as they open the basket, the baby lets out a little cry. One of the commentators read and says, I think God might have pinched him right there just a little bit because that cry sealed the deal. There's a couple beautiful things in the world. And one is the compassion of a mother, of, of a woman toward a baby. And the second one is the cry of a, new, of a little baby. <laughs> and that baby let out a little cry and that princess's heart melted. And it's one of those, oh, can I keep it kind of things, you know? And, yep, you can keep it, apparently. And so she keeps it. And, but the end of this is the sister comes and says, hey, shall I go find somebody to nurse the child? And she doesn't mean just feed it right now. She means until it's weaned, take it home, take care of it. And so she says, yeah, find me. So sister runs right back home and gets Moses' mom. Moses' mom comes and she says, you know what? Take this child home and take care of it and I'll pay you your wages. So Moses' mom gets paid to take care of her own child that she's been trying to keep from being destroyed by the Egyptians. And who's flipping the bill? Pharaoh. Pharaoh's going to raise Moses within the palace. Because when Moses is weaned and he's old enough to come back to the palace, since he is adopted by the princess, then Moses comes back to the palace. In Acts chapter 7, when Stephen is speaking to the Jewish people, he goes through Israel's history. And this is what he says. He says, when he was exposed... Talking about Moses, Pharaoh's daughter adopted him and brought him up as her own. And Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was mighty in his words and in his deeds. Now kind of lock that in the back of your head, because when God starts to send Moses back to Egypt, this verse is going to become important again. But the point is, he got brought into Pharaoh's home, he got brought into Pharaoh's palace, and Pharaoh paid for all of his food and clothing and upbringing and his education Everything that Moses was, was provided by Pharaoh. And so God says, you're going to mess with me, Pharaoh. You're going you're gonna to fight against me. You're belittling my people. You're keeping my people down. Now you got to the point where you're killing my people. And you're going you're gonna to do all that. And you're going to fight against me to try to keep me from rescuing my people from you. You know what? I'm going to put the person that's going to rescue my people right in your house. And you're going to pay his bill for 40 years. That's just awesome. I just love that. I remember sharing with my kids when they were little at bedtime. We always did Bible stories and stuff. And I remember talking to them. And I said, look at the foolishness of fighting against God. But you know, we can do the same things at times. We can decide we're going to go our way. And we're not going to worry about what God thinks about where we're going to go. We can be tempted to take things. Isn't that what even the serpent did with Eve when he came and approached her in the garden? I know God told you that, but that isn't how it works. Let's go this way. Let's go a different way. 
you know what? When we start to kick against God's ways and, and try to go a different route, it always ends in a sham. It's always discouraging in the end. It's always a letdown because God's ways are the right ways. So we see the foolishness of trying to fight against God. But then as we look at it, what, what do we see specifically about faith? Well, one of the things that we see about faith is that faith fears and is fearless. It both fears and is fearless. Now, the reason that I point that out is because, you know what, everybody, everybody fears. You, know, you, may, you may fear what other people think of you or maybe certain people think of you. There's, there's, there's different fears that we experience within our lives that kind of help to shape some of our decisions. You know what, it's not necessarily an absence of fear that we're looking for. We're just looking for fears in the right places. Some things are good to be afraid of. You know, I remember when raising my children, uh, there were things that I wanted them to be afraid of. I want them to be afraid of fire because uh, fire can be very dangerous. I want them to be afraid of the street. Not so much that they're paralyzed and never cross it, but afraid enough to look both ways. I recognize the same kinds of fear within myself. There's, a, there's tools that I use at work that are dangerous, and I want to have a fear of those as well. So several years ago, I was working on a job, and I got my hand a little too close, just kind of forgot about where my hand, left hand was as I was running a saw with my right hand, and I just cut into my finger with the skill saw on the one hand. Now, I've worked with several people over the years that are missing different parts of fingers from that very same tool, and I don't want to be one of those, but uh, so far I'm still okay. I cut that finger, and I went to the doctor to get him to sew it shut because it was a decent cut. That put a fear back in me for that saw, and I thought, you know what, that's a fear I want to keep. I want to be making sure I know where my left hand is when I'm running a saw with my right hand all the time. So that's a good thing. Well, that's one of the things that we see as we look down through this passage and in the greater context around it. Because the midwives, remember them? What did they do? They feared God, and so they wouldn't kill the infants. Pharaoh, who gave them this task, whose kind of their life is in his hands, Pharaoh, they did not fear Pharaoh like they feared God. And so they did what God wanted them to do. And God blessed them for it. We see the same things within Moses' parents. Moses' parents in, in chapter 11 of the book of Hebrews in verse 23, it says, By faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. They were not afraid of the king's edict. And so their fears were in the right place also. They had a fear of God that outweighed their fear of the king, of the pharaoh. Moses also is the same way. In chapter 11 of Hebrews and verse 27, it says, By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. And so now in the passage that we looked at, it does say that Moses did fear the king in that the, Moses knew that the king would be after his life. But Moses already did not fear the king to the extent that he would go out and visit his people and that it was more important to him how his people were being treated than what the king's wrath would be uh, when Moses would reach out his hand to deliver his people. And so we see Moses the same thing, fearing and fearless. And that's what in, in all of our lives we have that. When we're making decisions... 
Some decisions boil right down to that thing. Do I fear what other people are going to say about me? Or do I fear God and what He thinks about me? There's been times when I've made conscious decisions just because of that principle. Because I feel like I know God would have me to do this, but you know, some people might think I'm weird, or some people might not appreciate or not understand what I'm doing. But you know what? Who do I fear? Who do I want to please? Do I want to please this group of people or do I want to please God? And there's been times when that, knowing that truth, was the thing that made me do the right thing. Step out to please God. Well, that's what we see in their life, that faith both fears, because it fears God, and it's fearless. It's what will give us the courage to rise up against or rise up above circumstances and situations that we're in. Because we're knowing that we're going with God and we're doing what He wants us to do. That will give us the courage. And, 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 you know, just like that, I don't even remember where I heard it, but, but I remember hearing um, bravery or courage described this way once. It said, um, bravery or courage is not the absence of fear, but being afraid, you go on and do what's right. You go on and do it anyway. And that's what at times when we do have an element of fear for the for the the opinion of the world, that our fear of God, our faith, gives us what we need to be what we need to be at that moment in time. So faith both fears and is fearless. Also, faith chooses. Faith chooses. And for this one, I look not to the example of so much of Moses' parents, though there was a choice there for sure, but we also look at Moses. Moses says that he, he left the palace of Egypt. You know, he was, he was living in lifestyles of the rich and famous. He was living right in, the, right in the sweet spot as far as life was concerned, as far as having all the luxuries and having all the abilities to learn everything that he wanted to learn and, and having all the abilities to be entertained however he wanted to be entertained. And he just had the sweet life. Of that day. And what does he do? He passes it up. It says that it was laid upon his heart, or it came to his heart that he wanted to go visit his countrymen. He knew he was a Hebrew. And he said, You know what? I want to go visit my countrymen. I want to see what, what it's like for them. And that's when he ends up rising up to defend one and takes the life of that Egyptian. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 24 through 27, puts it this way It says, By faith, when he was grown up, Moses. For by faith Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible." You see, as we look at Moses, Moses was a place, that place living in the palace, but his people are the people that are in bondage, the servants. And Moses, as, he, as he's looking out to them, faith caused him to make a tough choice. You're going to stay in the palace, enjoy luxury, maybe even be, some, some have speculated that maybe he would have been the next pharaoh. 
because there's some there's some uh, argument as to whether the Pharaoh that he was under at that time had all daughters and no sons. So he said there's a possibility he, he might have been in line to be the next Pharaoh. We don't know for sure. But do you stay with that? Or do you go where God wants you to go? You do what God wants you to do. And you see, that's what Moses did. It says that he he would rather be <clears throat> take the the persecution of being a Christian. He would rather endure the persecution of being a Christian than enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. For those, as, this, as this version says, the fleeting pleasures of sin. And you know what? That's how the pleasures of sin are. They're always fleeting. They, they don't last long. They go away. And so Moses had a choice. Do I live my life in temporary pleasure? Or do I invest my life in something much more important? And he chose that which was more important. He chose to invest his life. And now notice the, the, the terminology within the passage here. It says that he's seeking a reward. You see, he's doing exactly what Jesus told us to do. When we, when we trust in God, it's, it's not like we're not out for a reward. <laughs> we absolutely are. In fact, none of us are going to get to heaven with God owing us anything. God blesses us beyond measure. He, 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 he is the one rewarding us. But here's the deal. Moses says, do I want the reward that I get from living in the palace with all this luxury and these things, entertainment? Or do I want the reward that comes only from God? You know, that's what Jesus told us. Jesus didn't tell us not to have any treasures. He just said, make sure you have the right treasures. Make sure that your life is spent as an investment for something that's really worth it. You see, Jesus said, don't lay up your treasures on earth where moths and rust corrupt. We're familiar with rust around here. Where thieves can break in and steal. He says, lay up your treasure in heaven. Send it on ahead. Where there are no moths and no rusts and no thieves. And where you get to enjoy it forever, not just now. The point that he's making is... What do we treasure? What is our reward? You see, Moses was the kind of person that his reward was found in God. was found in something much deeper, much more important than anything that the palace of Pharaoh could provide. That's what he sought. So as we look at our lives, so much of our life is spent with things that are temporary. Right? Our food is temporary. We enjoy it, but it's temporary. Our, our vehicles are temporary. That's where the rust thing comes back to play. Our homes are temporary. You know, we have a kind of a saying in the remodeling industry. You say, you know, people talk about, you know, I'm doing this project in my house, doing this project in my house. Finally, my whole house will be done. <laughs> no, it won't. Houses are never done. Because then you get done with the, finally the last room in the house, and the one that you updated first is 20 years old now, and that just doesn't quite look right to you anymore. You know, it's just, that's just the way it works. And things wear out. Appliances, appliances break down. Pipes clog. Things, things break. That's just, the, that's just the way it works. Not in heaven. Not in heaven. You see, Jesus said it's not about not having treasure. We need to have treasure. We need to, you know, faith's definition is seeking the reward from God. In Hebrews 11.6. Believing that He exists and seeking His reward. Well, that's what, we, that's what we see here. 
is that we see that faith chooses. Faith chooses the right rewards. Faith chooses the things that are more meaningful in this life as we live it for God. And then also, lastly, faith is often confusing. If you ever feel confused by your faith, you're in good company. Everybody else has too. That's what Moses is feeling right now. Moses is feeling kind of confused as he runs off into the wilderness in Midian. In fact, you know what's going to happen? Moses is confused enough that he goes off to Midian and when he gets there, you know what he does? He just starts a new life. He's not sure what happened back there in Egypt, but he just starts a new life. He rescues these ladies at the well. And as you can tell from uh, Isaac's day and Jacob's day and Moses' day, the well is a good place to meet people apparently. Everybody's had to go for water. But uh, Moses rescues these ladies at the well and he ends up married to one of them. And he gets married and he has kids and he settles down. Forty years later, God's going to come to Moses and say, all right, now I want you to go and deliver them. Moses is going to say, no, why don't you get somebody else? (laughs) I'm kind of comfortable in the life I have now. But you see, before that, Moses expected that they would think that he would be uh, their deliverer. In Acts chapter 7, it says when he was 40 years old, It came into his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel, and seeing one of them being wronged, he defended the oppressed man and avenged him by striking down the Egyptian. He supposed, here's what it it tells us what was in his mind. He supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand, but they did not understand. So in other words, when Moses struck down that Egyptian, he thought that the Israelites would recognize, hey, look, this guy's one of us. He's in the palace, so he has inroads. He's educated. He's a perfect leader to lead us out of here to be our deliverer. They had to be expecting it because God told Abraham way back when he started the covenant that they would be in bondage in Egypt for 400 years. It's getting up toward the 400-year point. So they got to be expecting it. Moses thought they would be expecting it. He thought it would be obvious to them that he's going to be the deliverer when he struck down that Egyptian. And they said, who made you a judge over us? Moses is like, what? Uh, Confused. Out to the wilderness for 40 years. Start a new life. Moses is confused. You know what? Sometimes in your faith, you're confused also. At least I hope I'm not the only one. Sometimes in your life, you're going to look at it and you're going to say, God, what in the world are you doing here? That's okay. Okay. Because we're not God. We're not the omniscient ones. We're not the one with the plan. We're not the one that knows what the next step is. He is. And Moses is going to enter into this time of confusion. He doesn't know why they didn't take to him leading them out. He doesn't know what's up with that. He goes out in the wilderness. Starts a new life for 40 years. And then God comes and says, now it's time. Now it's time. So if, if you're confused sometimes, it's okay. But I love the way this chapter ends. Notice how the chapter ends. And this will end us as we look at it this morning also. During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning. God remembered His covenant. God saw the people of Israel and God knew. I love that. Because in this last part, as we look at our confusing faith, it says that God's response during all this time, and it uses four different words that God uses. It says God heard, God remembered, God saw, 
and God knew. You know what? Whatever you're going through in your life, God hears when you're praying. Sometimes you might feel like things aren't happening enough or or quick enough. God hears. And God remembers. Now this refers back to the covenant made first with Abraham and then passed down to Isaac and to Jacob and now the nation of Israel. You know what? We're under a new covenant with God through Jesus Christ that fulfills all those old ones. And God remembers that covenant. He remembers His promises toward us. And God sees what you're going through. He sees your struggles that you have. And sees your steps of faith that you make with Him also. And I like it. I think this one maybe just kind of summarizes it. It says, and God knew. You know what? If you have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, God knows you. God knows what you're going through. He knows what you experience. He knows.